Welcome to Deeper, Growing in Holiness, One Day at a Time. I'm Adam Wright. It's good to be back with Deeper now as a podcast. It used to be a radio show, and uh, I've missed these long conversations. So we're very happy to have with us today Sister Marisha Weber, who is a religious sister of mercy of Alma, Michigan. That's an important uh, denoting fact. There's (laughs) there's many religious sisters of mercy, uh, but you're you're of the religious sisters of mercy of Alma, Michigan. Sister, it's so good to have you with us today. Thank you so much. Yes, little did I think when I entered the community decades ago and was already a physician family practice that my mother general would ask me then to go in psychiatry. And I thought, oh, mother, there are three things I never wanted to do as a psychiatrist. I mean, as a physician, I didn't want to work with tissues. I didn't want to look at rashes. And as being a psychiatrist, oh my gosh, I'm far from perfect. But she said, I want you to train at a good place. And so she says, I want you to go to the Mayo Clinic and train because you're going to be working with a lot of people in the church and you've got to be good. And I thought, oh. But as God would have it, I got accepted. And so it's been really a privilege to walk in the sacred spaces of persons, areas of woundedness, and see the grace of God really working in their lives. So I'm very grateful to be here and to participate in this kind of work. Well, I I was going to say Sister is a... uh psychiatrist who trained at the Mayo Clinic, but you you beat me to that, so thank you for that. But the reason Sister is with us today, it's a a fascinating topic that we want to talk about, um, but it's an important topic as well. It's one that affects all of us, and it's it's going to sound a little far-fetched at first on how how is this going to help us grow in holiness, but we're here to talk about our phones today. And uh, I, I think back about Four or five years ago now, we were having a parish mission. I was the music director at the parish, and I got to spend a lot of time with the missionary, and I couldn't help but notice he had a smartphone, but everything on his phone was in grayscale. It was in black and white. And I I said, there's something wrong with your phone. And he said, no, I intentionally put it on grayscale. He said, the people that design these phones are the same people that design casinos in Las Vegas. Everything about them is designed to keep you attached to the phone and tuned out to what's happening in the world around you. Just like the casinos want to keep you in the casino spending your money, the phone wants to keep you, the phone designers, I should say, the phone's inanimate, um, the phone designers want to keep you glued to the phone. And if we're glued to the phone, well, we're probably not attending to other things like spiritual growth and and whatnot. So that is going to be the focus of our conversation today. But before we even go into that, um, in the few months that have elapsed since you and I first started talking about this opportunity and were able to get something on the schedule, there's been even more acknowledgement of this as a problem and that even the Surgeon General has now put out I, I, I don't know if you would call it an advisory or a warning, but sister, I'll, I'll let you speak to that. Yeah, I was really, I thought, whoa, the Holy Spirit is working with Adam right here because sure enough, on May 23rd, he put out this advisory and it's looking at social media and how it's affecting teenagers. And he said that though there are many benefits with social media, now we have plenty of information that it is harm to many, many teenagers. And in fact, he said that, um, you know, it's been decades that our kids have been experimented upon with a tool that has created more mental health problems than we ever had before the cell phone became available. Wow. So that's a sobering statistic, you know, or a sobering uh, advisory 
for us. And it's something that I, you know, I remember growing up, we had one phone line into our house and there was a phone in our kitchen. There was a phone in our living room and there was a phone in my parents' bedroom. And we were never allowed to use the phone in my parents' bedroom because that was their room. We could use the phone in the living room, but there was zero expectation of privacy because everyone spent the evening in the living room together. And when we got to that high school age where maybe girls were calling to talk to the right boys, uh, if, if you wanted any hope of <laughs> privacy, you had to stretch the cord around the door frame into the laundry room and where you couldn't close the door all of the way because the cord itself obstructed the door. Yes. Uh, but it, And there was no chair. My parents said, you're welcome to go in there and sit on the floor, but we're not putting a chair in there for you. <laughs> Finally, at some point, I think they broke down and got a second phone line, and my brother and I were each able to share a, a phone line. Um, fast forward to when I went to college, you know, high school was the brick phone, and, and you didn't use it unless there was an emergency because you had to pay so many cents per minute yes. before, you know, oh, dark 30 <laughs> in the middle of the night. Um, and then in college, we had the, the Nokia phone that it had one game. It was the little snake game, and it could make calls. And we didn't pay for text messaging. So if you sent a text message, you better have a really good reason because mom was going to see that, and it was going to go on the bill. Well, now <laughs> I, I feel like I'm carrying a computer around in my pocket. And essentially, we are. Absolutely. So, sister, when you speak about this topic, because now that we've kind of established how much phones have changed, why... Why are we concerned? Why is this something that we're now going to give an hour to? Um, what what are all the different things that are possibly happening in our brains every time we pick up these phones? Absolutely. I'd like to just start by maybe speaking about some of the statistics that um, the Surgeon General gave. He said that 95% of teens today, 13 to 17, are on social media and that most of them are on social media. A third of them say constantly, constantly. And one in four are on more than five hours a day, one in seven more than seven hours a day. The real concerning factor about this high frequency of presence on social media with these phones is that Researchers have shown that use of social media more than three hours a day places kids at being twice the risk, double the risk of experiencing anxiety and depression. So if you have kids right now, take note of those statistics. Let's say those one more time. You said 97%? 95% of teens today are on social media. And if you use the social media more than three hours a day, and the average is three and a half hours a day, but many use more often, they are at double the risk of developing anxiety and depression, which is really also a brain phenomenon. It's not just a psychological phenomenon. But you want me to tell you even more concerning statistics? I think so. It's not only resulted in an explosion in teenagers, but we're seeing toddlers and preschoolers, and even infants, it said that 90% of children under the age of two, around two-ish, use screens. And some infants are given a screen at two to three years old, two to three months old. And when you think that 
the brain, the first five years of life, that's when the most development of the brain occurs. So it's having some significant brain effects that I can speak to a little bit. Well, as we go into this, you know, I, I think of one of the things I've heard many parents say, I've said as a parent, I think my parents have even said to me, would you just put that down? You know, referring, of course, to that phone or that iPad or tablet or whatever it may be, just put it down. And uh, I, a, a few years ago, I gave up my smartphone for Lent and got a flip phone. And that, that was an experience because they don't make the flip phones like they used to. <laughs> it lasted about all of Lent and then it, it, it could not continue. Oh, no. But even in that, noticing that I was constantly reaching for my smartphone that wasn't there. And to, to me, the, the, the untrained person, that sounds a lot like addiction, which is a word that we, we don't necessarily like to use because addiction has all of these connotations with it. You know, those who are addicted to drugs or addicted to alcohol or addict, addiction is a bad word. And, and so I don't know that I want to talk about being addicted to my phone. We never thought that something that you looked at with your eyes and listened to with your ears could cause an addiction. But certainly, that is exactly what we have experienced today. And an addiction is, you know, kind of an obsessive or compulsive urge to engage in an activity despite it's having maybe some negative effects on my emotional life, my, um, you know, intellectual life, my physical well-being, and my relationships. And if I don't use, then I get irritable or anxious which are symptoms of withdrawal. Oh, wow. Now, in, in the notes that you were so kind to share with me to help prepare for today, one of the things I read is that addictions are only possible because they take advantage of normal pathways that our brains use to learn and reinforce helpful behavior, and that the brain has both a liking system and a wanting System. So I, I think if you wouldn't mind, could you give us an overview of those systems and the roles that they play in surely, our lives? Surely, surely. You know, God created us in such a beautiful way. And so the reward system, which really comprises of the liking and the wanting system, is designed so that when we're hungry, we have a desire to get food, or we're thirsty, or for in, in the appropriate vocation to the continuation of the species, that there's a balance between that. So the liking system, you know, puts out the neurotransmitters of the endorphins or the opioids, you know, they help with pain. The wanting system has you desire to seek, to, you know, motivate it to go for. So if you're thirsty, then it creates that urge. But when it gets out of balance, that's when you start having troubles because you then want more than you really need. And all of this is in the brain. This is part of the you know, reward circuit in the middle of the brain. And as you recall, you know, when you think of liking something, if you're really hungry and you've had a good meal, that doesn't last very long. So the liking system really is relatively short-lived because of moderation. You don't want to get overly full and keep eating, eating, eating. And... Um, 
But once that gets out of balance, then the wanting system predominates. And the neurotransmitter for the wanting is dopamine. It's the main chemical. And not only is it dopamine, but then it puts out another protein called delta B that is that helps you remember how you did what you did that brought you what you liked. So I liked the way that I felt about this. I want to feel that way again. And there's a chemical process that happens in my brain that says, Adam, if you want to feel that way again, then, then just repeat steps A, B, and C because that's what you did last time. Okay. Yes, and this is true for, you know, for food and drink and, you know, arousal, but it's also for cultural things and, and you know, communing with God or our, our relationships. Because our, we are the only creatures that God created that has a, uh, an executive function that we can pause, we can ponder. We're ultimately supposed to self-regulate. But an example of this is let's say you're practicing your golf swing. Mm-hmm. You know, and you, you know, and finally kind of get it right, and you like that. And so you put out a little bit of endorphins. It kind of gives you this little burst of woohoo. And then your wanting system with the dopamine helps you remember how you got the swing right. So there, that can be a balance. With social media, though, we get out of balance. Okay. So now really, I think we, we've been talking about this in the context of phones, but it sounds like we could even just take this to screens in general. The phone is just a convenient screen that we can fit in our pocket, making it much more prevalent. But I'm thinking of video games. I'm thinking of television screens. I'm thinking of computers. Um, we, we mentioned tablets earlier. So now you've mentioned dopamine. And one of the things that you said is it's not the pleasure chemical that it's been made out to be. And, and that's new to me. Again, I'm, I'm a radio guy. I'm a musician. Uh, I've, I've been told before, though, that, you know, oh, you, 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 need your do- you need a dopamine fix. You need to get a little quick dopamine hit. That'll get you out of the dumps. That'll get you feeling better here. So what is it then? If, it, if it's not a, a pleasure chemical, um, what are we talking about when we talk about dopamine? And dopamine has to do with desiring, seeking, wanting that which you like, but by itself, it does not create liking. It's the liking system that puts out the endorphins, the opioids that are, you know, internally in your brain that that make you feel good. I'm trying to think of an analogy to make sure I'm understanding this correctly. And the thing that pops into my mind first and foremost is uh, we, we work nearby a Chinese takeout restaurant and there's something particular about that smell okay everyone knows it yes and you walk outside to go to your car and oh that smells good you know is that anywhere in the ballpark of what we're talking about here that's the cue that's the cue that makes you want to desire that which you know tastes good but just the cue of the smell good doesn't make you satisfied right it makes you want to get satisfied so the eating it would be the satisfaction. That would in, that would engage the liking system. That would be the pleasure. But the smell reminds me that, hey, if you go eat that, you're going to enjoy it. That's right. But just the smell doesn't satisfy, doesn't give you pleasure. Just, just It makes you want it. It makes you motivated to go seek it out. So would it be fair to say that dopamine is somewhat like the smelling in this case? In this case, yes. 
in, yeah. in this very crude analogy. Yeah. yeah. And I can give you other examples um, of how this kind of works uh, because, you know, the, the, um, the individuals who kind of design these um, apps are pretty wise in how to try to get you engaged more often in the apps. So, um, I mean, about 40 years ago, there's a psychologist who did a study looking at pigeons. And he wanted to know how you get pigeons to, you know, get more dopamine. Because they initially thought that was the, you know, the, the pleasure one. But what he found is when he dropped pellets of food at unpredictable times, more dopamine was released. So here we come now in around 2000, and uh, Mark Zuckerberg, you know, puts out Facebook. And what was Facebook really originally? Post to post or, you know, post a, a, a sentence about you. I, Adam Wright is, and you, you couldn't, if I remember correctly, the beginning of every sentence you posted was always the same. I am, and then you had to fill in the blank. And then people could like it, and they could comment on it. Okay. And and did you love it when people would like or comment about how great it was? So even before that, you know, he was in. He went to Harvard. He was a Harvard dropout, believe it or not. But it was kind of a static electronic, um, you know, directory of faculty and students. But nobody was picking it up. So he said, "Okay, you neuroscientists, I want you to devise Facebook." so that people are going to pick it up. So they studied these pigeons. And what did they find? If it was unpredictable. So what did they devise? You said it. That's when it became not just here's who's who, you know, match a face to a name, but now you can share something on it and you can have someone comment or like like. it. It's the like button. That was, it, it harnessed the positive, um, you know, feedback of intermittent, you know, liking, because you never knew if what you were going to look at was going to be something you actually really liked or not, but it made you want to look. So here you have, you know, you have the phone in your pocket and it buzzes. That's the cue. Oh, I want to see it. It makes me motivated to desire to see what somebody posted. I may not even like what they posted. You see the distinction between the like and the wanting that is triggered by a buzz. So the like button then exploded in all the other apps, but then it even went further. So do you remember your high school psychology and Pavlov's dogs? When the bell rings, the dog would come seeking the food. Okay. Actually, it was a metronome, but everybody calls it the bell. So you ring the bell. I don't remember very well, I should say that. But no, you're, no, no. you ring the bell and you put down food. You ring, down, ring the bell and put down, and what does the dogs do? They begin to salivate because the food is coming. Then after a little while, he rings the bell but doesn't put down food. So what do the dogs do to the ringing of the bell? I don't remember this part. They salivate. They salivate to a bell. Even though there's no food involved. No food involved. So they have associated this cue with something that's going to be pleasurable, and it has nothing to do with it. So it's, it's triggered the, the motivation, the anticipation. It makes you want to check to see if there's food around because you've associated the, the, the bell with that. So it's classical conditioning. So basically, the phones have made us operant and classical conditioned 
to pick up our phones and seek what's going on. And, and in so many of these apps, there's little notifications. You know, you open the app and in some corner of the screen, it'll have one, two, three, four, five. It'll have some number, usually in a red circle. Those are your notifications. And you get so excited because maybe you've posted something. You've shared a picture or, a, oddly enough, a picture about food, since we're talking about food. And you see, oh, I have 12 notifications. That, that may mean that a bunch of people have liked my picture. And then we get really disappointed when it's the notifications are, there's an event happening near you that you might like or, or so-and-so shared a post. And you're like, but none of these have to do with my picture of my food. See, And already you're seeing now there's no longer the balance between something you're seeking that actually gave you healthy pleasure or unhealthy pleasure. So now there's a disconnect. Okay. Now, when we talk about this balance and the reward and the liking system, you know, I, I know in other areas of our physiology, there are limits to things. As someone who doesn't like to walk long, super long distances, I don't mind going for walks. But after about two miles, I really start feeling it. And, and then I have to push myself because I know I need to go more. But if it was a pleasure or a, a leisure walk, after two miles, the leisure part has eroded and it's time to go home. Are there limits when we talk about all of these things happening in our brain and our, and our social media and our phones that finally we get to a point and say, eh, I, I think I'll just put the phone down now. It's not fun anymore. It depends how self-regulated you are. And that's one of the problems with these phones because they are the high-speed, you know, internet that gives you a barrage of auditory and visual images that, remember, the first five years of your life is when your brain mainly develops. But in order to get to the prefrontal lobe, you have to use a pathway. So in neurology, you use it or you lose it. And what you use most gets stronger. So the person needs to be able to say, okay, I am wanting to no longer use my phone or I want to get some sleep now to develop that prefrontal lobe. And then it can give the message back to the reward center and said, you've had enough to eat. You've had enough to drink. But if that part of the brain is not developed, then there's a lack of self-regulation and so then that you get, you know, impulsivity, you get irritability. And this is what they're finding with kids who have been giving these screens at a very young age. And they have trouble with frustration tolerance because their prefrontal lobe has not been able to be established well enough to then modulate the stimulation to the wanting of some kind of pleasure, which they may not even be getting because now there's a, a, a little bit of an imbalance between the liking and the wanting with the screens that they're looking at. It's no longer pleasurable, but they're beginning to use because they're anxious, which is a sign of withdrawal. Wow. Now, we know that in, in some persons, you know, I, I have a family member who has dyslexia. Yes. And it wasn't anything... That the parents no. did. It, it wasn't anything other than just the way something happened, that, as the doctors described it, and how their brain developed that was different than my brain. And that happens. But if I understand what you're saying correctly, one of the dangers of, oh, I need to get this work done and my toddler is fussy. Here, just watch this on my phone. Are, are we potentially 
changing how these things are actually forming in their brains. I, you know, again, going back to the, the dyslexic in the family, there was nothing anyone did that caused that. No. But if I'm handing a screen to my toddler constantly, am I causing something? Well, you bring up a very important point. Um, there was a study done in JAMA Pediatrics, and that's the Journal of American Medical Association Pediatrics Journal. And they looked at the brains of children between the ages of three and five and studied them and did you know, kind of specialized MRI scans of their brains. And those who were given screens for more than an hour, and that's not just a phone, but also television, watching television, because today television is also high speed. Mm -hmm. They have found that those individuals, more than one hour, had a less developed and less organized white matter in the brain. Now, if you want to think of white matter in the brain, it's almost like um, a track, or it's like if you think of a telephone cable that carries messages from one place to another, those that's the white matter. And the gray matter are the other parts of the brain that kind of direct your body and tell you what to do. So it's the white matter that carries the messages of one part of the brain that has to do with moving your hand and moving your leg. But with this excess stimulation, it causes an underdevelopment and a lack of organization of that white matter track such that they have been able to document this. And these kids then have cognitive impairments. They are more irritable. They have trouble um, you know, just concentrating at school, they're beginning to find that more in young kids who are exposed to screens, and this includes television, that um, there's almost like it mimics attention deficit disorder. Because if you have high stimulation of the visual and auditory, but it doesn't go to the prefrontal lobe, which is the control center of the brain that has to do with self-regulation and self-control, then you know, they have short attention spans because the pathways that you develop most are the strongest. I imagine there may be someone listening right now who is saying, oh, no, I did this. You know, I, I let my kids watch more than one hour of screen, whether it's the television, the tablet, the phone. What do I do now? I mean, is, is all hope lost? The good news is our brain is highly neuroplastic. I mean, remember, if you've had a stroke and somebody's not able to walk, they have the capacity to regain that facility to a certain degree or had trouble talking. So the, the brain is a beautiful, beautiful organ that has tremendous capacity even beyond, you know, we say now you have to be about 25 before your brain is fully developed. Um, but yet it can continue to modulate itself on, over time. So the key thing is human interaction. So to spend more real time with the kids and with one another so that you're um, engaging in, you know, conversation or turn-taking, like no phones at the table, for example. So then maybe you might teach your kids to um, tell them what, tell you what their rose was that day or what their thorn was that day. So you can kind of make it appropriate depending on the age of the children. So they're learning to turn take, to think about how their day went and describe one another. That's very good. 
to for children to develop that part of the pause, the ponder, the thinking, that that prefrontal lobe. Also engaging in you know physical activities, um, playing instruments are really really good. Also learn how to play because you have to do the timing, you have to do the sound. So. Um, um, instrument or even singing or having help you cook or go out in the garden, things that we used to do before cell phones and you know electronic devices were available. It's engaging with one another. So go outside and play. Help me make dinner tonight. Uh, read a book, I imagine. Piano lessons. I know so many kids take piano lessons or are in band. Um, we, we, our kids love to do puzzles. Excellent. That's very good because you have to pause, you have to ponder, you have to look at the shape of the puzzle pieces and figure out how it's going to fit. And if it doesn't fit, then you have to kind of relook at, at how it's set up. So those kinds of things are excellent to help develop those pathways. Now, I remember that with one of my family members, there was a concern about the development of Alzheimer's. And one of the things that was, I, I feel like it was a buzz, uh, not a buzzword, um, but it was all a buzz in society at the time was do things like crossword puzzles and uh, so do sudo, Sudoku or, yes. or whatever it was to do all of these mind things to to engage the mind to make yourself use it. So is that similar to what we're talking about here that if you're worried that, OK, I may have put my kids in front of screens for too long at too early of an age. Well, here's the remedy is to start making them use their mind on all these tasks that could be simple tasks, but are fun. Like, can you help me with this puzzle? Can you help me? Um, you know, my, my son loves Legos and he's the kind of kid that we don't even get the, the kit anymore that says, follow these instructions to build this. And he comes up with the most fascinating things that you would think he had a kit. Um, but to engage all of these things. That creativity. That's one thing that these screens have deprived kids and adults of is creativity because there's so much passive reception of visual and auditory data that it does not engage you, which is why the, the brain gets so passive in its development. So the more you can engage your own creativity and and talk with another or, or some physical activity, the more you're developing those parts of the brains. So even, all right, for the next half hour, guys on summer vacation here, guys and gals, uh, we're going to sit down and we're going to have art time. So you can either color or you can build something out of popsicle sticks and pipe cleaners. But but you, ha- you, you, know, you have to make something. Uh, that would be another good thing. Absolutely. You know, or go to the beach and, you know, make a sandcastle or, you know, um, play a little volleyball, something that's interactive. Okay. And, and what they've also learned is adults who have the TV on as background or sit and have their child next to them watching TV. What happens is there's a lot less social interaction with their child. And so they don't develop verbal skills as well. In fact, kids who are under 18 months who have given screens, they talk less and they talk later because it hasn't engaged them in imitating. You know, we're, we're created as we grow up to imitate what we engage with. If it's slow enough, much of the programming is too fast and the child can't even not, cannot cognize or understand what it is that's coming at them. So even if I think I'm doing okay because I'm not letting my kids watch, but I'm glued to it all of the time, I'm depriving my kids then of those opportunities for this uh, mental um, stimulation and and to engage them in conversation and to engage them in these activities. How often do you see 
um, I, I recently, you know, was at, at one of the hospitals and in the waiting room, I saw this dear mother. Um, she had three young little girls who must have been five and under. And the whole hour that we were waiting in the waiting room, she had her phone and that's all she was doing. Not talking to them, not interacting to them. And the three little girls weren't interacting with one another. And so that would be something that unwittingly, because again, we have been hit with something that's already a train way out of the track, going full speed that we did not know that needs to be looked at because it's, it's hindered the normal human social skills of wanting to be known and be known and to love and be loved because that's what makes us belong and feel like we connect with one another. This phone does not make me feel connected or like I belong. In fact... That's what the Surgeon General said is one of the main problems with social media. It makes the kids feel like they really don't belong, like they're not measuring up, like they don't like themselves. They feel depressed and anxious. I think, oh, they're at the beginning of their little lives. We, we talk about that often. I think of a, a recent Zoom call I was on. It was just a very quick meeting of some parents at school about an event we had coming up. And I was sitting on my couch and behind me, uh, was a beautifully decorated wall of our living room. But on the other side of the screen, all around me was just chaos. There was there was a pile of laundry in the recliner. There was a uh, set of toys that one of the kids had gotten out and hadn't put away yet. One of my guitars, because I had just been playing the night before and I hadn't put it away down in the basement yet, was sitting there. And I, if I would have turned the iPad around, everyone would have probably been aghast, like, oh my goodness, the Wright's living room looks like a war zone. Uh, <laughs> and yet... That's that's one of the problems we're talking about is what we we're able to frame what we put out there. So when I'm scrolling through my social media feed, oh look, that family's having such a remarkable vacation. It looks like at the beach, and we're not. Now I feel bad. Are we are we providing less for our kids? And what they're not putting on there? Here are the eight million. Are we there yet? Are we there yet? In the cars on the would you be quiet? He's touching me. Would you stop touching? You know, all of, all of the mess that we all deal with, but we think no one else is dealing with it because we just don't see it. I, you know, I used to see more teenagers um, at, for therapy, and um, it's it no longer surprised me when I have some of these teenage girls coming in with you know issues of self-esteem and anxiety, and um, but you know when she talked about her Instagram feed, she would kind of light up and say, "But I like myself better there," and you know I just feel like you know everybody else is having more fun and they're attending things, and I'm thinking, "But you're really not like that," and how the social media really forces you to create a persona of some false ideal of who you're supposed to be that then also wounds the developing self-esteem because, you know, we all have gifts that God has given us and we all have areas of limitations and weakness, but that doesn't mean we're inadequate. You know, can those be areas and opportunities to learn more? to maybe seek assistance from a parent or to learn how to do something else and take the risk to be creative. Um, you know, otherwise, I think it, we're, we're forming kind of a fixed mindset instead of this growth mindset where, you know, I don't know yet, but that doesn't mean I can't. That, that's something I want to ask about. And so I'm going to go out of order of what I had, t- had intended to ask here. About five years ago, I was working with a middle school population as part of my job at the parish. And one of the statistics that was shared with our team was think about 
you know, any fun activity that you might you might have done in high school. It, it could be a float trip with friends, canoeing down the river. It could be going fishing. It could be going to an amusement park, riding bikes around the neighborhood, whatever it may be. Something that just that experience, you and I in the pre-smartphone social media age would have just said, oh, man, you know, we spent all day today on summer break riding bikes. We probably went all over God's earth and back. And we stopped at the creek and we did this. And that was, a, that was oh, so much fun. And then we went to Tommy's house and Tommy's mom had Kool-Aid for us. And, oh, that was the best Kool-Aid I ever had in my life, you know, and all of these things that now these kids don't go into it thinking, oh, my goodness, here's everything that might happen today that'll be fun. It, they go into it with how am I going to put this on my social media in a way that's going to generate likes, you know, best day ever. And they're not even, even though they're going through the experience in a way, they're not even having the experience because they're so focused on how am I going to share what I'm doing that they're not even enjoying what's happening around them. I think you make such a good point. Unwittingly, they've developed the habit of becoming better observers of even their own personal experience, they constantly put themselves out in order to imagine how they can post and how they would be liked, such that, you know, being liked has become such an important, you know, commodity, but it's really not. It's passing. It's, you know, I have dignity made in God's image and likeness. And the likeness continues to develop as I begin to share with another, you know, a care for them, an understanding of them, wanting to hear who they are and what they're about. Those are the real um, measures of human bonding. Liking doesn't make me feel bonded in a way that perseveres and really touches my heart and soul. Now, there might be a message that I like, but if that's all I have... It's the real person that really makes this fill out. So it's not that you couldn't have some of this on social media, but you got to enrich your your actual human interactions. So it can't be it can't be more of social interactions on the virtual side. It doesn't fulfill. It leaves you with a bucket that's pretty nominally full. Okay. I'd like to come back to addiction. And a little bit here, because I think at a certain point, we, we do want to talk about balance and whether or not we're saying throw all the phones and all the screens away, or if we're saying like anything, you know, moderation is key. Temperance is one of the virtues. Um, but I want to ask, because because we are focused on growing in holiness in this podcast, so I'd like to come back to some things here. Number one. I suppose there are those in, in the culture that, if they were listening to this right now, would say, well, what's the point? What, what's the concern here? What, why do you care if I'm addicted to likes or if I'm addicted to my screen? What is the danger? And, and you and I, of course, sister, our, our primary concern is eternal life. We want not just for us to become saints, but we want for all of our listeners and those around us to become saints. In fact, I think of something I saw on social media recently that said, remember, every person you encounter today is a soul that will ultimately end up in one of two places. So how does all of this in the big picture hinder us as we're trying to grow in holiness? 
if you think that it has disrupted the healthy balance of our liking and wanting, that we no longer really have a, a full potential to self-regulate, and that has created then symptoms of withdrawal, which I experience as anxiety and depression, and is affecting how my self-image is, my self-esteem, because of what I'm seeing there. And we're seeing more suicidal, we're seeing more bullying, we're seeing you know, more sexual aggression. That is not helpful for anybody's well-being, emotional well-being, much less spiritual well-being. So I think we really have to look at the importance of listening to one another. And this requires a quieting down. You know, silence is very important. Um, when even silence, um, they've done studies where, you know, they've looked at different kinds of music, you know, in mice. And the, the researcher then pulling and getting a different tune on to see what the change might be, realized there was a lot of activity when there was about a, 20 minutes of silence. And it's actually the hippocampus um, that is where there's long-term memory and where the senses of an experience are integrated began to become very active. And if you don't have that quiet, you can't really reflect on what your experience was. You, you can't really, you know, ponder about what that is. So it's very important. And one of the main reasons we need to be able to be quiet is to pray, to be able to hear the voice of God, and to also be able to experience one another. Um, and so science is very, very important. That constant buzz is um, it's agitating and really takes away from the capacities that make us human. So the more and more I allow myself to become addicted to the screen and the constant need for visual stimulation, for emotional stimulation, I got the likes, I got the retweets, I got whatever it may be, the, the harder it's going to be for me to sit in silence and prayer. And persons who become addicted to their phones, but much more addicting is also online gaming because it's a lot of, you know, interaction that keeps you tied to it. And also even more so um, is internet pornography. That's the most yeah. addicting. I, I, I want to come back to those two and I want to start with online gaming. That's actually where I was going to go next, because one of the things um, when we look at all of the, the cultural ills right now, we see a lower percentage of young adults getting married and 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 some of that is the the secular cultures uh permissiveness of cohabitation and that you know co why bother to get married it's just a, a formal step you have to go through you, you can just live together but they're also seeing significant data if i remember correctly that young men just aren't engaging in dating you know for, for a few reasons number one they're so addicted to the gaming that they just, you know, they don't leave that. They, they don't leave the game to go seek the company of young women. But also number two, going back to uh, what we were talking about earlier with the, the unpassable bar that's been set, all of the false expectations because of what is shared on social media, 
Um, I understand many young men don't think they'll ever be able to live up to the expectations of a young woman because of all of the unreal expectations that are now now out there. So why bother? And since I'm not going to bother and I enjoy sitting playing this video game, I'm, I'm content to just stay here in the basement and play video games all day. And if they're not playing video games by the time they're addicted, they are so anxious and going through withdrawal and so uncomfortable that they can't even be peaceful present to another individual for even a half hour, an hour at a time to socialize. So that's part of the difficulty. And I, I think that's why it's so important, you know, to really take, you know, take the time. I think that, you know, even though there is a fear and a concern, you know, we, we have a story to tell, and I think we need to engage as Catholics to tell good stories. I mean, that's what Jesus is, that's what Jesus did. Remember the Good Samaritan, you know, it's the lawyer who says, well, who is my neighbor and who should I not even engage in? And he told the parable of how the man out in the street was abandoned, and basically he made that lawyer the one that was out on the street, and Jesus was the Good Samaritan. And how is it that we can develop a culture of more neighborliness again, where there's respect, there's a desire to understand and support? And, you know, I I think so much of what social media does is they seek attention to get more followers to themselves. We don't want followers to follow us. We want to bear witness to Jesus Christ. We want them to follow him because we know the good news of redemption. And that is all about, you know, relationship and the gift that we have with one another. And we're not alone that way. And I think that is what has really been taken away by some of this that's caused such addictions. So another danger I see in turning in on ourselves, as you just put it, we, we talk about what some would refer some would refer to as the vocation crisis. That you know we're we're short on priests, we're short on vocations, and we're not short on vocations because God is calling. What we may be short on are people hearing the call or answering the call. So if I'm if I am consumed by what's on my screen, if I have become addicted to what's on my screen, that I'm not taking the time for silence, that I'm not taking the time for prayer, that I'm not taking the time for contemplation, that I'm not taking the time for conversation with that person who may be the one to say, "Hey, have you ever considered a vocation based on the gifts and all these things I see in you?" We have people that could be missing what God is calling them to because they're so focused on a screen. Yes. And, you know, I think that um, so many have said if so many people have not been asked, you know, have you ever considered a vocation? So I think that's really a key component. And I don't want to say that all screens are bad, but it's can we use it as a resource and not the primary way that we as a human relate to this device? If it becomes more of our time on a device, then it's using us. We're allowing that to happen. So we need to use it as a resource that enriches us, but not as a primary way to relate to the real world, to other people, to our faith, uh, to wonder about what God might be calling me to, and take time to be with. We're social creatures. Um, I think of C.S. Lewis, and, and I imagine if he wrote screw tape letters today, there would be a letter, Dear Wormwood, you got them to get a device. Good start. 
sincerely your your uncle screw tape, you know. Well, the old boy is still around. Yeah. We have all of these new toys in a variety of fruits. Yeah. Well, let's let's talk about now one of the most dangerous things that screens have brought forth. I mean, um, a lot of what we've talked about today could have been started with good intention. Like, I just wanted to connect with my my family members that are across the country, and that's why I'm on the social media app, or my friends from high school. You know, that, that's not a bad intention. That's that's not something that I would say is a moral evil. But you know, before screens, you know, and especially in the age of dial-up internet, um, you know, you started to see the burst of internet pornography, and now it's at a whole new level. Because not only is it high-speed access, you know, in, in the blink of an eye, you can load any number of things onto a screen. Um, but with the advent of virtual reality and augmented reality, it's, it's gone to a whole new level. And it's the kind of thing that if you have a device, and, and, and at this point, you know, yes, if your kid has a device, I'm worried for your kid. But I'm worried for us as well, for adults, how many take their phone or their tablet into their room and now they have access to this great vice and going back to addiction and like and reward and being out of balance. It seems like, you know, it's not just when they talk about tornadoes, they, they say we don't know how tornadoes develop, essentially, like why this thunderstorm develops one, but this one doesn't. But we can tell you when all the ingredients are there and when you should go seek shelter in the basement. I feel like this is the biggest warning of them all that when you combine the the screen, the phone, the high speed access, the technology that exists, the prevalence of pornography, uh, start the sirens because we're we're in warning territory big time now. It's said by many researchers that the most addictive addiction today is internet pornography because it you know God created you know um, I'm, I'm you know he I, I was always taken by the fact that God created what we need to survive as pleasurable in moderation. So you, you know it's pleasurable if you have a nice meal, pleasurable yeah. if, if you're thirsty, and pleasurable in the appropriate vocation you know for intimacy. But when it comes with the internet pornography, there is after a while what is pleasurable becomes actually irksome and unpleasant because there's such withdrawal and such craving because of the disconnect. It's almost like the dopamine just pushes, 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 but there's no more liking. So those who become addicted to internet pornography use because not it's even pleasurable. It's not even sexually pleasurable anymore to them, but to get rid of some of those really uncomfortable feelings they have from the addiction, much like an alcoholic after a time begins to drink, not because of the, they like the taste, but to get rid of the discomfort they have and the withdrawal they're experiencing. And that's where you get the total disconnect between the liking and the wanting pathways to the point where it actually changes some of the phosphorylation of some of the enzymatic um, chemicals in the wanting system and it becomes almost so embedded in that it's hard to reverse so in in the in the context of a marriage if one of the spouses were to become addicted to internet pornography what can be i mean it, it obviously poisons the marriage but when you talk about that that this is no longer about the pleasure it's no longer about sexual pleasure. It's about not wanting to be feeling the symptoms of withdrawal. I would imagine that becomes just incredibly toxic to the intimate relations between husband and wife. 
it's been very detrimental to marriages, very detrimental. And I mean, this is where I would recommend, you know, some people might benefit from, you know, treatment, but also there's some things that how do you work at purifying your memory and imagination? Um, and I like to look at um, what I call a sensory exercise because persons who are addicted to internet pornography, those images bubble up. Like, why do you think that internet pornography is more addictive than if you're addicted to crack cocaine? More addictive than crack cocaine. Why do you think that is? I, do, I have no earthly idea. Well, if I'm addicted to crack cocaine and I get treatment and they give me medication for withdrawal, when I leave there, unless I actually access crack cocaine, it's not in my system. But when I go out in the world and I see all of the advertisements on screens or you, people even walking down the street. You don't even need that. Because if I've looked at porn enough, I have those images in my imagination. So I no longer need a cell phone. I no longer need an iPad or a screen. I'm a walking poncho in my imagination. That's why it's harder to get through this addiction because you need to purify your memory and imagination because it's intended to bring us to prayer, to God, to creativity. But now I've got all these images that bubble up even when I'm not necessarily seeking it out that make me crave it. All right. We have time for one last question here, and this is probably going to be one of the most important ones we ask. Uh, going back to the parent earlier who may have said, oh, my goodness, this was me, and I've done this with my kid. Maybe someone's listening saying, all right, this is me. I recognize I have an addiction to whether it's Internet pornography or social media or my phone that, that I can't put the phone down. I've got to get the fix. I, I, I start fidgeting. I start getting shaky. For drug and alcohol, there are rehab facilities that you can go. Um, there, there's AA uh, and whatnot. What do, what, do, what do we do if we're saying, I think I might be addicted to my phone? Well, there are treatment centers for those who need it, but there are also some basic things like um, if you know you're you're having trouble using your putting down your phone, um, then if you're inclined to pick up your phone because the 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 closer there's a cue like a buzz, then there's a routine where we grab you know we want to pick up the phone. So instead, you know, don't keep the phone in your pocket or, 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 you know, turn it off or just choose when you're going to look at your phone or, or dumb it down. Also, there's the way to purify the memory and imagination. I, I look at like the five senses. So because we can't concentrate intently on two things at once, if some of these images bubble up or the craving, I have somebody, you know, look, look at something like for two seconds intently and see kind of the, the shape of our lady here on your desk and her crown, you know, so five things that I see intently for like two seconds, five things that I hear, the echo of my voice, you know, my, um, the, the, um, the movement of my hands, five things that I feel, the sole of my shoe on the floor, um, and if there's a smell, so that you're trying to engage, you're using your, your frontal lobe to engage and direct what you're seeing, what you're hearing, what you're feeling and, and touching, such that you're beginning then to move away and, and really get more self-control. Also with Catholics, if somebody has trouble, I have them some, sometimes you know, get on their knees, beg Our Lady to be at their side and begin to pray the rosary, um, you know, and, and ask Our Lady to really be there with them, praying Hail Marys like they really mean it, and each and with both hands on the beads, you know. Um, and then also I have them hold on to a crucifix with both hands and imagine their favorite image of our Lord 
and allowing them to experience his profound love for them. He loves you so, so much. And let them experience that. Be present to that. And that can be very uncomfortable because you can feel guilty about some of what you've done. But don't, don't. He loves you. Give that to his precious blood. And you return his love for him. And, you know, those are some things. Also, I would recommend unplug your router. Unplug your internet at night. Don't have the electronics on at all. You know, tell people to use the the, the landline. And if you really have to and you're worried, you know, maybe dumb down the phone so you just use it for, you know, a phone call. But there's many things that could be done. Much of this is outlined. I have a book out called Screen Addiction, Why You Can't Put That Phone Down. It's available anywhere you want to get it. But there's a chapter that goes through many of these practicals for screens as well as internet pornography and some things on gaming um, that you can look up and refer back to. So lest you be listening and, and saying, well, I guess I thought I was overreacting before. I think, Sister, you've given us a very strong case for why we're not overreacting to say, you know, kids, you're going to be in the 5% that aren't going to have this. Uh, no matter what all of your friends have, I'm not giving you a phone. I'm not giving you this. Or if I am, I'm severely restricting the amount of time and what you can engage in uh, on this device um, I would add, even the Surgeon General in his report talked about how if parents banded together and didn't give their phones 16, 17, 18 years old, it would prevent harm to the children. All right. So there there you have it. Um, I think a very, very compelling and necessary case for things that we've never thought to be mindful of before, but... Now you can't say you don't know because sister shared it all with us here. Uh, I want to thank you for being with us on Deeper Today. This has been just phenomenally insightful, and uh, I've got a lot to think about and some things that I want to look into when when I get home even and decisions we're making as a family. But sister, I want to thank you for this. Uh, Really quick, because I always love to plug vocations, the Religious Sisters of Mercy of Alma, Michigan, your charism is, is mercy. Is mercy. Your apostolates are generally focused in healthcare? Healthcare and education. Okay. And if if someone wanted to find out more information, I mean they can just look up Religious Sisters of Mercy Alma Michigan. Alma Michigan. Yes. RSM right. of Alma. And we also have um, Holy Hour every day at around 5.15 Eastern Standard Time. And you can live stream with us and pray with us um, if you wanted to. That would be a hel- healthier use of you know your phone if you want to you know do something. But yes, please come and visit us. We usually have a vo- um, vocation weekend every month. And um, we'd love to, to have a chance to talk with you, even if you don't have a religious vocation. Just we, we, we do all this together to bring the kingdom of God. All right. Well, let's give this hour to Our Lady, and, and let's also pray a glory be and thanksgiving for this time together. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Amen. All glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Mary, Mother of the Church. Pray for us. St. Joseph, Terror of Demons. Pray for us. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you so much for having me, Adam. And Sister Marisha, thanks so much for being with us today. If you have a topic that you'd like to hear us discuss on Deeper, please be sure to drop us a line here at the station. Until then, please don't forget to uh, share this episode with your friends and dare I say, click like. 
and maybe even subscribe uh, or not in light of what we've talked about today. But it, it's been a joy to be with you.